You're listening to the Hotard Huddle Podcast, presented by me, Michael Hotard. Check it out as we dive into sports, movies, music, TV, and more. This is the Hotard Huddle Podcast. Bring it in. It's time for the Hotard Huddle Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Hotard. Joining me today, if you listened to last episode, I brought on my cousin Mike Stan, who's with St. Paul's, uh, which is on the North Shore uh, Private School and uh, a solid athletic program. We talked a lot about that. And on today's episode, for episode 21, um, I am bringing on a friend of mine, a guy I've known since high school. We sort of developed a friendship. Uh, sophomore, my sophomore year of high school, basically, uh, became very good friends. And, uh, you know, we always went to school together growing up. He was a great above me. Just didn't have that friendship that we grew to have in high school. He is also on staff at St. Paul's. We talked a little bit about him if you listen to last episode. It's none other, none other than my buddy Matt Panero, who is the head wrestling coach for St. Paul. So, Matt, I thank you for being on. I'm excited to have you on. And, uh, dude, all, all good things coming your way. It's definitely been quite the journey and quite the experience to watch it from the outside, seeing you kind of grow into the role that you have now. Have now. So, dude, congrats on everything. Thanks, man. I mean, I really appreciate it. I appreciate you having me on. I, I think it's super cool that you're doing this. Uh, and really kind of living out a dream of yours, you know, um, something that you always kind of wanted to do, whether it was sports broadcasting or uh, broadcasting in general. So it's, it's really cool to, to see you doing that and, and thriving in it. And, uh, you know, I don't know how, how I'm going to be compared to the illustrious Mike Stant, you know, the legend, kind of kind of put up in the tough spot, you know, after the superstar, but we'll see how it goes. <laughs> Hell yeah, man! But uh, no, we'll let, let's start it off with kind of your background. So, you know, when I met you, um, you had just kind of gotten out of the athletic side of wrestling and really started to gear heavily into the coaching side. And a big part of that, if I'm not mistaken, was because of some of the health issues. Because this was back in the mid 2000s, and one of the things that popped up for you was uh, celiac disease, basically. So you had this bad gluten allergy, and I just remember you trying to figure out what the heck was going on with your body because you would get really sick from a lot of this. So if I'm not mistaken, and I'm not stepping on anything here, it was that that sort of drove you out of the athletic side and into the coaching side, correct? Yeah, no, that's that's definitely right. So um, basically, at the end of my sophomore year, uh, I came down with mono, which was the end of uh, the Katrina year, so a very fun, eventful year. Uh, and so I got mono, and, you know, I never really got back from that. I never really recovered from that. And, uh, you know, you got to a point where it was like six months later, and you should be seeing some signs of improvement, and you should be seeing things uh, getting better, and they just weren't. And as a matter of fact, a lot of things were getting worse, and... Um, man, you know, basically a year and a half, two years worth of doctor visits and, uh, hospital stays and colonoscopies and endoscopies and all kinds of blood work, more blood work than I would ever, uh, hope to have again. Uh, we finally figured out that all this time, what was causing my problems was the things that I was eating. Um, and you know, Pretty much, almost immediately after getting that taken care of, things started to get better. But at that point, it was kind of late to salvage any athletic career, um, which was kind of unfortunate. But at least I had that outlet of being able to help out from a coaching standpoint, um, which I did with the the kids club. Um, you know, I started going there when I was in eighth grade and uh, helping out as a freshman and helping out as a sophomore. So it just made sense that. You know, I love the sport so much. There was only so many ways that I could give back to it, and that was a way that I could uh, stay involved, you know, because it was limited in terms of what I had to do physically. Um, and the biggest issues that I had were just, you know, 
being able to maintain an energy level, being able to uh, to give it everything I had, which um, as a coach, you don't really have to do that. So um, it was an easy way to transition into that sort of for me. Well, it's, um, you know, one of the things that I talked about with Buddy, uh, another mutual friend of ours who you wrestled at Rumble with a couple episodes back was the toll it takes on your body to do the wrestling, you know? I, I played sports growing up. I played baseball, and I've continued to play sports at a very recreational level. Um, but even at the high competitive level, I mean, yeah, there were workouts and things like that for baseball, but there was never this toll that it just took on your body to do the wrestling. Now, of course, one of the things Buddy mentioned was we know a lot more now than we did back then about diet and stuff like that, but... You'd constantly see this uh, with even your brother Mark or Buddy, whoever it was, you know, just that circle of friends that we had. If if it was come wait time, you know, there were days of just not eating, and if you were eating, it was things like sucking on now and laters and spitting, which I remember distinctly your brother doing as I walked with him to a, the damn snowball stand down from y'all's house one day. Um <laughs> So uh, you add that on top of the celiacs and that gluten allergy that, you know, kind of you found out after all that testing. Like, I, dude, I remember you going through that distinctly and kind of just the the nightmare. You know, I'd get, you know, the text, yeah, I had another episode of, of an attack. We're still trying to figure it out, what it is. And, you know, you going through all that, dude, that was a freaking nightmare. So I can't even imagine, you know going through that especially at that young age too and you know you're in the midst of that athletic career so um like you said you kind of turn to coaching um you know with with the younger kids which if i'm not mistaken is the scorpions yep yep so so you start with scorpions and then you you know you help out with rummel you help out um with the high school level you know um and one of the cool parts, I guess, of that was, I guess, being able to just kind of not necessarily live through through your brother, but in a sense, kind of guide him through his career. And he went on to have a freaking hell of a career, uh, both at the high school and collegiate level. So, you know, talk about the fulfillment of getting to experience not only coaching, but also coaching guys like your brother at that age, you know, cause you're, you're still essentially a teenager yourself as well. Yeah. So, you know, it's funny because especially now I, I feel it and I, I felt it then too, but maybe to a lesser extent, um, you, you really don't understand until you are a coach, how meaningful, uh, those successes are for you. Uh, relative to the successes you have as an individual, um, you know, like I said, like we talked about, uh, my my career was cut short, and so you know I didn't accomplish a whole lot from a standpoint of an uh, athlete. But um, I've had a lot of athletes that have been very successful, and you know, without a doubt, every single one of the guys that I coach, I, I'm prouder of and feel more more. Uh, accomplished uh, because of what they accomplished than ever because of anything that I accomplished. Um, you know, when you see somebody succeed and you know that you played a part in it, even if it's just a small part, um, that's the best feeling in the world to me um, is knowing that you help somebody achieve a goal. Uh, and, you know, everybody has a slightly different goal. So, you know, so for somebody like my brother, whose goal was to be a national champion, uh, and, and he fell a little bit short, but, you know, he, he took third in the country, uh, which is nothing to, to uh, sneeze at. Um, you know, so for his goals, that was that's where he wanted to be. And so we tried to get there um, and, and came very close, and we felt good about that, you know. But for some guys, it's just, you know, have a winning record. For some guys, it's just, you know, lose this chunk that I have in my gut. Uh, for some guys, it's just be a part of a team. And so seeing, you know, the successes of, of all your different athletes, um, there's no better feeling. Uh, and knowing that you had something to do with that, I, I, that's at least my perspective on it. 
what's what's interesting about the dynamic of wrestling versus traditional team sports is the same kind of dynamic that you would have with, uh, you know, like a gymnastics or things like that. It's a very individualist sport, but that individual goes into the team score, so to speak. So there has to be a certain level of balance, I feel like, as a coach to get people to buy in to being the best they can for the betterment of the team. And, you know, you kind of talk about the different goals of some of your athletes, like if somebody wants to be a national champion or somebody just wants to have a winning record, uh, whatever the case may be, I guess what's the coaching in today's world what's the secret sauce i guess to finding that balance of getting them to you know achieve their goals but also understand at the end of the day this is also a team sport as well as an individual sport well you know i I don't know that there's a secret sauce and if there was i'd certainly package it sell it and make profit off of it (laughs) (laughs) but uh but, you know, I can speak for what, you know, what I and, and my staff believe and, and the things that we do, um, you know, and, and, and I was very fortunate to have uh, a ton of coaches that I worked uh, underneath and for um, and, and alongside um, at Rummel and at St. Paul's. So I, I've had the benefit of, of interacting with so many, you know, legends and so many guys that are, are um, among the best in, in the state's history. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm a wrestling nut, so I watch everything. I listen to everything, the podcast, the interviews, I read the articles, um, you know, anything I can get my hands on. So, you know, kind of our philosophy based on everything that, um, that I've, I've come across and what seems to work uh, for us is, you know, at the end of the day, it's all about doing the best that you can do. And if you are getting the most out of yourself and if you're doing the best that you can do, that's all you can do. You know, you can't do better than the best that you can do. So if I am constantly trying to do the best that I can do, be the best version of myself I can be, uh, then that's going to lead to to success for the team because if everybody is at his best then the team will be at its best and if the team's at its best then it has a chance to compete and you know that's what we believe and that's the way that we train and uh you know thankfully we've had some success with that over the last couple of years and uh and i think our guys really believe in that and i think uh i think that it works for them and with with a sport like wrestling, and it's it's interesting you you kind of worded it the way you did in terms of getting guys to be the best that they can be, because ultimately the best they can do is their very best. And it sounds very cliched, very very I guess mediated answer, but it's the truth. And it's something that last week you know we mentioned my cousin Mike who was on here, he kind of said the same thing in terms of his offensive line at at St. Paul's for football, you know? And I think that's a really cool side of coaching in today is I I find that, that coaches today just have a better grasp on more so the individuals and what they're capable of. And I think it's important, you know, to uplift your athletes and instead of the the old school mentality of just beating them down because they take an L. So that brings me into kind of kind of this side of wrestling. So, you know, I, I used to go to the state tournaments because, again, guys like your brother, guys like Buddy, um, you know, people we were we were all friends with and I met through you guys. Uh, you know, I went to cheer on Rummel at, at some of the state tournaments because I wanted to see my friends succeed. And it, they were fun events, but with wrestling, you know, it's sort of a different animal than, let's say, losing in baseball or soccer or, um, you know, basketball. I, I think football is comparable in this sense, but essentially, you're taking a guy and you're having to move him in a certain way to obtain points in wrestling. So if you're getting just decimated on the mat, so to speak, 
that means someone's just physically imposing their will on you, which in a sense, I mean, can really throw you for a loop emotionally because at the end of the day, if you're just getting thrown around, there's that could do a lot to not only your ego, but your confidence. So, you know, when you talk about, you know, having guys be their be their best on any given day what happens when they fall short you know how what's your approach to helping those guys through those tough times where maybe they're not having their best day and they are just getting uh, for lack of a better term the shit kicked out of them on the mat yeah so you know i would wager to say that there's probably no sport that is more mentally straining than wrestling um, because you're all out there alone and there's nobody, you know, that, that can, can be at fault aside from you if a mistake is made. Um, and so that's very hard. It, it's very hard to deal with. And, you know, if I would say, um, you know, you kind of talked about the secret sauce or, or, uh, so to speak, um, if there's something that we have worked on more as a program the last two years, it's been the mental side of things. Um, we've spent a lot more time doing that than I've ever previously done as a coach. Um, and I've seen it pay big dividends for our guys. I really have. Um, in terms of, you know, how do you handle a guy when he's not at his best? Honestly, it depends on the guy. Um, it's a case-by-case basis. Um, you know, as far as the way that we handle things, it, it's very much, um, every individual is different. Every individual is unique and every individual needs his own thing. Um, so, you know, maybe some guys need that tough love. Um, whereas some guys, you just don't need to tell them anything. You just need to let them be, uh, you know, some guys you need to really build them back up. And, and talk them up and, and get their mind back where it needs to be. Um, some guys, uh, you need to just maybe start cracking jokes and, and get things light and and, uh, and bring it back down, you know. Um, I Really, at the end of the day, you know, what, what we try to do is if we fall short, you know, in, in a particular match or, or um, uh, situation is, is – you know what? Just just go get the next best thing. So, okay, you lost. You can't win now. Well, you still have a chance to go get third, so let's go try to do that. You know, it's not what we want, but it's the next best thing. Um, and, you know, I think the other thing that's important, too, and, again, you know, it goes back to the things that we uh, work on from a mental standpoint, is keeping everything in perspective. Uh, you know, I think today... A lot of times, sports are, are taken way too seriously. 100%. Um, and uh, particularly at the youth level, it's pretty bad right now. Um, you know, sports are, are games. They're games. They're supposed to be fun. Uh, you know, and, and if you're so uptight and so nervous that you're going to win or lose, that you're not having fun, then what's the point? You know, what's the point of you doing it? Why would you do something if you're not enjoying it? So, you know, we spend a lot of time just working that out and, and, you know, understanding, you know, where wrestling falls in the grand scheme of things, you know. Is wrestling important to us? Absolutely. Do we want to win? 100%. But if we don't win, the world's not going to end. Uh, you know, we we're, our lives are still going to go on. Our families are still going to love us, hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you know, so really it's a lot easier to just go out and perform when you're not feeling that internal pressure or that external pressure of needing to win. Um, and you know, so they, they certainly don't get that from us as a coaching staff. Uh, we, we, we don't push that. We don't believe in that. Um, like we said, it's, it, I know it's cliche, but really it's, you know, go out there and do the best that we can do and whatever happens, happens. Well, I think that's super important because, you know, with with me personally, just kind of relating my own personal experience, 
you know, I recently wrote a column about this, and I was always a, a fair athlete at the recreational level, but every time that I got to the school level, whether it was middle school or high school, I lost all my confidence, I didn't perform the way I thought I was capable of performing, and I didn't do myself any favors because I ultimately got lazy because I didn't have the confidence, and unfortunately, you know, one of the things that I did was I projected all the blame elsewhere at that age, and you know, it's a very fragile age, and you know, you talk about the youth sports and finding that balance with your players, knowing who you can go in on, knowing who you have to scale back on. I think that's such an intricate part of coaching that basically makes or breaks athletes to either have that sour taste of what school sports are or have that sense of pride that you, you know, were a high school athlete or maybe even made it to the collegiate level. So I think that's really awesome. And one of the things that I've kind of seen with you um, over the years, whether it was at Rummel or now in your role at St. Paul as head coach, is, you, you know, of course, you, you have these big state tournaments, you get all these pictures from parents or professional grade photographers, and I've seen you tagged in a bunch of them, and dude, like, there's nothing cooler, I, I guess for me as your friend looking from the outside in, than seeing, you know, a 16, 17-year-old kid, arms clenched in victory and you know coming the first person they're coming to is you and you know offering their arms out for that hug for that embrace for that just moment of just like shit we did it here it is um and that and I think that's really cool to see and I mean based on you know those pictures and you know the intensity level that you bring to to the coaching side of wrestling and everything like that I think it speaks volumes that, you know, everything you're saying here, you are getting through to those guys because, you know, like I said, seeing some of those pictures and triumph, seeing some of those guys embrace you the way they do, there's clearly a huge level of respect there, uh, more so than just, you know, the authoritarian coach to, to athlete. It's more of like, it, it, you're essentially part of that team. There's not that that I guess I, I guess the word I'm looking for is there's that parallel between friend, coach, and finding that balance there. So um, I, I think that's really awesome. And again, this kind of reiterates what I've talked about on this podcast before with other people who are in similar fields with coaching is it's great to have that balance because ultimately – it's going to make you successful, and you know, thus far, St. Paul's. Let's let's dive into this a little bit. You know, what's you got the promotion there? What a year or two years ago? So this is the end of, of year two. Okay. So um, it would have been uh, a little over two years ago. So you know, in that time, you know, you were you were working there as an assistant, correct? So you get this promotion because they're a longtime coach, if I'm not mistaken, you know, was stepping down. You kind of got the keys to the to the car and essentially, you know, don't drive it into the side of the mountain. But since you took over in those two years, let's talk about, you know, what that program's done. You know, um, I, I think I remember seeing you guys placed third or fourth at state recently. On my first year um, as head coach, we, we took fifth. Um, we were like two and a half points away from third place. Um, we were kind of disappointed. We, we almost took third place, and we ended up in fifth place just the way that it all shook out. Um, but uh, actually, this year, uh, we finished as state runner-ups for the first time in school history uh, in Division One. So the highest finish... Uh, that the program's ever had. So we're, we were pretty excited about that. But, um, you know, we we ended up losing uh, to uh, the to state championship team, Brother Martin, uh, by only five and a half points, um, which in, in the way that point scoring works, if one match could have gone differently, we would have won. Um, you know, so it was kind of a bummer. Um, that we felt just shy, um, 
You know, it's kind of like the equivalent of if you are uh, losing by a touchdown in a football game and there's two seconds left on the clock and you score the touchdown, but then you miss the extra point and you lose by one. Uh, that's pretty much kind of how it went. Um, so, you know, a disappointing finish, but we're proud of what we did and we're excited about the future. Um, we're feeling really good about our team for this year and uh, and for the future year. So um, we're just looking to continue to trend upward. You know, the program was always very, very successful. Uh, Coach Craig Kettleson, uh, the longtime legend, uh, athletic director and, and wrestling coach, um, still the athletic director and now uh, junior high wrestling coach as he's uh, very generously uh, continued to help me uh, with the program. Uh, you know, he built he built a, a very, very, very strong program and a very strong foundation. And uh, I was lucky enough to be able to uh, take over after him and, and just continue to build on uh, what he started and, and hopefully make him proud of, of the legacy that he started well dude when you talk about wrestling and i i mentioned this to to mike last week on or last episode you know there's there's a juggernaut in wrestling essentially with the three big private schools one of which is rummel your alma mater then of course you have jesuit and of course brother martin you know those three pretty much at least when you guys were in school, and it could have changed, that could have shifted in the last couple of years because I don't follow high school sports, but I do remember when we were in high school, it was a three-horse race between, you know, those three schools, it seemed like, all the time with wrestling. Um, And then, of course, you had teams like Holy Cross, which I remember being pretty good uh, at least one of the years that, uh, um, when we were in high school, but... To be able to go in, I guess, with a school like St. Paul and be able to compete with these historically great juggernauts and also kind of build on that legacy that, you know, the former coach built, that's, I I don't think that's something that, you know, you alluded to earlier uh, of sneezing at. And uh, I kind of say that to this, you know, I mean, it's really impressive the fact that in two years you place fifth and then you place as the state runner-up and get that get that accolade of ranking the highest in school history in year two. I think that's freaking incredible, especially given the fact that you're still you're still very much in your prime, so to speak, in terms of coaching. You're still young, so you got a long career ahead of you. So for you to kind of build on that that's a that's a huge step moving in into the future well you know like i said we just try to do the best that we can do uh, i try to do the best that i can do as a coach and, and you know our staff does a great job of that i'm very lucky um to have uh our staff coach leeling and coach zimmer coach harrison uh coach kettleson coach barrettini you know those guys help me so much and you know i'm lucky to have a school that's super supportive of our sport, um, you know, uh, Brother Ray, our president, comes to all of our home meets, and uh, Trevor Watkins uh, is always super supportive, our principal. Um, you know, so whenever you get support from your school, that means a lot. And, uh, you know, I mean, really, we just, like I said, we just try to do the best we can do. And really, I think just in terms of, you know, you talk about uh, putting ourselves on that level with those top teams you know really it's it's all about belief i think at the end of the day you know it really is just about where you think that you should be you know when you look at the you know i I always kind of use the nfl because i think that's probably the the you know the paradigm of of sports in america is the, the strongest organization um and i would say if you look at the teams you know that consistently do well it's pretty much just ingrained into the culture of that program that they expect to compete. You know, you look at like what Sean Payton has done for the saints. Um, you know, when, when you and I were growing up, the saints were terrible and you know, then Sean Payton comes in and you know, really it's as simple as it's a mentality shift. And yeah, you know, you need athletes and you need, um, you know, people that can compete, but mentality goes a very long way and I think you know 
for us, like I said, you know, mental work has been the biggest difference. And, you know, just understanding that when you step on, you know, the mat, it doesn't matter who you're competing against. You can beat them. You know, you can, you can be competitive. Um, and if you go out there and do your best, you know, you always have a chance to win. And so, um, you know, that's just the way that we look at it. We don't try to make too big a deal of it. Um, or don't make any deal of it. You know, we try to just stay uh, humble as we can and and appreciative and, and grateful for, you know, the opportunities to go out there and compete. And, uh, you know, I just continue to get better and continue to, to build and, and try to try to be the best that we can be. Absolutely, man. And, you know, good luck with, you know, everything next year. And uh, I'm sure it's been kind of a wrench in the socket with everything going on but um we're gonna segue into into something here i don't know whether you'll be embarrassed about me bringing this up or not but uh, one of the interesting parts about um matt's matt's career here is you're a big movie buff you know since i've known you movies have been a huge staple part of your life you know that's sort of been your escape if you will and oh, most definitely. Actually, I don't. I don't think most people even know this. But um, interesting uh, factoid uh, is when I started uh, at college. Originally, I was a film major, um, and that was going to be my career. Was going into film, and you know, at the same time, I was continuing to work with the with the youth wrestling, and you know, I just decided that. Um, I was enjoying that too much to get away from it, but the and so uh, that's where I went down that path. But yeah, movies are my thing for sure. And here's the interesting part about that, though. So, you know, movies are his thing and your thing and everything. But what's what's interesting is I I don't know how many people know this, and maybe there's somebody listening to this that does. And for those of you who are listening. You actually got to advise for wrestling on a WWE film, um, and your brother Mark was the main—not to say antagonist, but kind of the big oh, he, name wrestler. Um, yeah, so he was—he was the bad guy. Yes, he was, the- <laughs> <laughs> he was the bad guy with not a single line, but. Um, this was really cool. So, and it, it's actually it's a great movie. I, I have it on DVD. I remember, you know, hearing about this that you were going to be advising. Mark was going to be in the movie, but it's called Legendary. Uh, it was filmed in Louisiana. It stars John Cena. Um, Danny Glover is also in it. Um, and I can't remember some of the other big name actors, but basically the plot the plot of it is. John Cena is the brother of this kid who's kind of kind of a nerd, like kind of an outcast a little bit, and uh, he turns to wrestling to kind of bridge that gap between his brother who's got this troubled past, um, and he he becomes a, a pretty big wrestler, and you know along the way uh, he comes across your brother, that's who he's competing against, and I'm gonna forever make fun of Mark for this, but. Uh, there is a scene in the movie where they're doing weigh-ins and they're butt naked and Mark's just staring down this guy as a tactic to intimidate him. So I will forever let Mark remember that uh, of that scene in particular. But, you know, he got to star in it as, you know, during his high school career. You got to advise it. Um, and, you know, you got to work on a WWE production film, a high-level film with arguably the biggest icon in wrestling history that is John Cena. So, you know, I I always find that to be interesting that you got to experience the crossover between two worlds that you just hold near and dear to your heart. So tell me a little bit about that and tell people kind of how that came to be. Yeah. So that's, that's a pretty uh, crazy coincidence, right? You know, I'm super, (laughs) and I'm super into wrestling and then, I'm super into film, and then just coincidentally, you know, WWE is shooting a film about wrestling in our city, uh, and I get contacted about it. So, basically, uh, you know, I've been involved with USA Wrestling for, you know, ever. Um, But uh, at that time, I was, um, I think I was membership director at that point, Um, 
regardless, um, somebody reached out to me and um, said that they would be filming a movie. It was about wrestling, um, starring John Cena uh, and Danny Glover, and uh, you know they needed help, and would I be willing to help? And at the time, you know, I was a student in college, so sure, why not? Um, especially because I was a film school student at that point. Um, and so, you know, it was my job. First, they sent me the script, um, which was pretty interesting. And I read that, and, you know, I had some notes on that, and we discussed those. Uh, one of my, I, I like to say that my biggest uh, influence on the film is that I got a line introduced into the script that was not there. Um, because the big move at the end of the at the end of the, the movie is a move that really you would never do if you were a good wrestler. And yet John Cena is supposed to be this, you know, extremely successful wrestler and he wants to do this move. And so, you know, I had a discussion with the writer uh, and, you know, he kind of told me that this was his move that he used in the 1960s in high school in Florida. And I, you know, I told him, I said, okay, well, that's good, but nobody would ever really do this. You know, as a matter of fact, in wrestling, we always talk about don't reach back on bottom. And that's the first thing he's trying to get uh, Cal Chetley to do. So uh, I asked if we could insert a line where he said, you know, really, you shouldn't try this because it could get you in a lot of trouble. And so that was kind of my big, uh, I, my, my special moment, I felt. <laughs> uh, but so, I, you know, I did that and then, um, they wanted me to choreograph the wrestling scene. So myself and my friend John uh, Arillion, we uh, worked with the actors, including John Cena, and, and taught them the real wrestling moves, um, showed them, you know, kind of choreographed how the scenes would go. Um, and then probably the, the biggest chore that we had was to find all the wrestling extras. Um, and so, you know, I made a spreadsheet and we just started contacting everybody that we knew uh, and everybody that we knew that had wrestled and, you know, asking them if they wanted to be a part of a movie and explaining it. And we were able to get a whole bunch of people involved. Um, and, you know, I never considered even asking my brother. Um, but what happened with that was pretty funny story. Uh, the, director and some of the the i don't i don't remember if it was the producer or whoever but some of the people involved in the movie they wanted to come to one of our actual practices to see what it would look like and so they came to a practice and you know we didn't tell the guys that these guys were going to be there so they're just kind of sitting on the side watching and you know they're warming up before practice and my brother's kind of walking around strutting his stuff like he does you know chest out <laughs> big 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 dog kind of, you know, attitude. And he's running around looking, you know, like he, he's mean or something. Uh, and the director pulls me over and he says, who's that guy? I like him. He's got swagger. And I said, that's, I said, that's actually my brother. And he said, can he be our main bad guy? I said, I, I guess. Yes. I was like, well, I guess that's definitely something, that's a difference between Mark and I is, is the swagger element. Uh, he certainly got that. So that's how he came to be in the movie was just the director thought he looked mean and tough and thought he looked like the baddest dude in the room uh, and he gave him the job. And, you know, funny story again, another funny story is I know that Mark, you know, he went on to wrestle at University of Pennsylvania and at Warburg College in Iowa. And I know that over the years, you know, going all over the country and competing in these tournaments, there's been many times that he's been rec recognized by absolute strangers from being in that movie uh, where people have said, hey, you're the guy from Legendary. And he's like, yep, yeah, that's me. That's awesome. Uh, so that's pretty funny. But. Um, you know, just a really cool memory. It was really cool to meet Danny Glover because uh, he was one of my inspirations at the time from uh, Angels in the Outfield, all-time yes. classic. George which, Knox, way, baby. Which, by the way, if, if you know, I'm going to use my movie uh, nerdness now, but 
Um, if you haven't seen Angels in the Outfield in you know a long time, uh, because it came out in 1994, so why would you have seen it? Uh, but if you've not seen it, it really has a truly remarkable cast. Uh, you know, you have Danny Glover, Matthew and Tony Danza, uh, Matthew McConaughey, Christopher Lloyd, yep. Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Yep. Um, I mean, dude, come on, you know, all-star cast. Yeah. Uh, so I got to meet him, and that was really cool. I really wanted to do the the wing thing uh, with my arms, but <laughs> I chickened out. I was afraid to do it. Um, <laughs> So I didn't, uh, uh, but I did get to meet him and shake his hand, and he was very nice. Um, and then, uh, you know, the main guy that we spent the most time working with, uh, kind of his big thing is he was young Dexter on the TV show Dexter. Uh, so that was cool. Um, and he actually uh, put a message on one of my paintings one time asking if he could buy it a couple of years years ago. So I was like, oh, that's cool. He's still in touch with me. Dude, hell yeah. Um, and so he was cool. Uh, you know, they had another guy that we worked with who was on, I never saw it, but like apparently there was a Wolfman show or something like that. Um, I don't really know exactly what it was, but it was a show and that kid was on it. And then uh, Patricia Clarkson, who's been yes. in a bunch of different things. Uh, she was very, very nice. Um, and then uh, obviously the man, the myth, the legend, John Cena. Uh, who is every bit as cool in real life as he seems to be. Um, just just an absolute genuine dude. Uh, really, really cool guy. Um, you know, he, he on the long hours on the set, he would play practical jokes and stuff with us. And um, just, just a really, really good dude. Humble guy. Um, you know, I can't say enough good things about him, except for he wasn't as tall as I thought he was. That's the only, that's the, the only knock I have on him is when I first met him, I was like, oh, he's really not that tall. Um, but he is, he is massive, that's for sure. Yeah. But super cool dude, super cool dude. Dude's built like a brick house. But so before we kind of move any further, the first thing I want to touch on here is the fact that because I never heard the story how Mark got the part, per se. Uh, so the fact that it was Mark being Mark, because we, we know this about your brother, and I say this in the most endearing way possible, uh, and this is absolutely uh, a, a positive thing, but Mark is one of the biggest pieces of shit in the best way imaginable. Um, so I think it's funny that this dude's just running around the freaking rumble wrestling facility like typical Mark would, and he lands a damn part in a movie as the bad guy. So that's freaking awesome. Um, and then, yeah, I always kind of explain Mark as me, but angrier. (laughs) Makes sense. And then, you know, it's cool that, you know, for you, uh, getting to work on that film with the amount of star power it did have. I, I couldn't remember Patricia Clarkson's name. And, you know, probably a lot of people listening to this won't necessarily recognize her name. But if you see her face, you'll know exactly who she is. She's one of those type of actresses um, where facial recognition is you're like, oh, yeah, her. I know her. But yeah, so she she was the 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 wife that was sick in the Green Mile. Mm-hmm. Uh, she was uh, Ron Swanson's first wife, Tammy One, <laughs> uh, on Parks and Rec. Uh, let's see, she was the mom uh, in Sharp Objects. If you watch that show on HBO, uh, so she's been in a bunch of different things. Those are a couple that jump out to me as of uh, recently and, and big deals. But yeah, she's definitely. Very famous and uh, a very, very good actress. Super nice person. And I love that you mentioned the whole Angels in the Outfield aspect of Danny Glover and wanting to do the the signal for the Angels are here. Um, and, you know, I feel like you're a lot like me in that sense because not to say I tense up if I'm ever around celebrities, but I don't... I'm certainly not my normal personality. Like, if I, if I run into somebody, I'll joke with them. Um, you know, mess with them, whatever it may be. But when it comes to celebrities, I just have this complex when it comes to seeing them where I'm like, 
I don't really want to bother them because I feel like they don't want to be bothered. They're normal people just like me, except, well, they're, they're more well-known. And, um, you know, kind of how you chickened out to do the whole, um, the whole angel signaling. So one of my favorite celebrity stories that I have or encounters that I have was, um, uh, in Disney World for our honeymoon, Melissa and I, we uh, we get to the Grand Floridian the first day. We got we stayed there one day because that was kind of the big dream for us. Was hey, let's let's take one day to stay here since that's probably all we can afford to stay. Um, so we get there. Well, they tell us there, you know, our room's not ready, so we're waiting. And then come to find out, they upgrade us. So they're taking us to our suite or um, our Castle View room. And we're getting on the elevator, and out comes uh, Whoopi Goldberg. She was there for one of the events, and you know I'm I, I'm kind of staring, like hardcore staring, not realizing it. You know how Whoopi wears those damn dark glasses all the time. Well, she's kind of walking with her head down and I see the white of her eyes peering over the glasses and we kind of make eye contact. And when I tell you, I've never been so scared to look someone in the eyes than I was that day, because this wasn't just a look of, okay, yeah, we're randomly making eye contact. She obviously saw the reaction that I had when, once I realized it was her because my jaw kind of hit the floor and like, I just went into a blank stare so her whole look over those glasses basically said to me, listen, motherfucker, if you say anything to start a scene, I'm going to cut you. So I walk into the elevator and as soon as the door closes, I turn to Melissa and no one's in there. It's just us two. And I just go, that was Whoopi fucking Goldberg. And I'm like freaking out about it just because I wasn't expecting to see someone like that. So, um... No, and actually, I'll tell you, uh, you know, you talk about Disney World, so uh, anybody that knows me knows I'm a frequent uh, visitor there, and uh, although uh, I've been there many, many times, the only celebrity I've ever seen there, uh, but stood right next to for like five minutes before I realized who it was, was Heidi Klum. Uh, oh, I'm jealous. And, and uh, yeah, so that was pretty cool. So that was pretty cool. But yeah, so those, those, that's... My my uh, celebrity meat list has basically been the cast of Legendary <laughs> plus Heidi Klum. Well, dude, and that's a, like I've seen several people. Like I saw Jesse Eisenberg walking through the quarter before. Um, my wife and I are big fans of the TV show Vampire Diaries, and ironically enough, we were doing a vampire tour in New Orleans, and a bunch of the cast was here for one of the uh, the people on the show's wedding. So we saw. Paul Wesley, who plays Stefan Salvatore, um, along with the girl who plays Bonnie, um, and then I can't remember her name in the show, but she's the werewolf chick, um, so there was a group of them, and Melissa and I, like, both were like, dude, holy shit, and we thought about turning around and running to get a picture with Paul Wesley, but we were just, we kind of chickened out, because I'm like, I, I don't really want to bother them, um, and then uh, another Disney World celebrity encounter. So, uh, I, I, you know this. I'm obviously a huge wrestling fan. Kevin Owens was in Disney World. And someone had told me they saw him. So, naturally, that whole vacation, I'm like trying to see if I'll find him. Because I'm a people watcher by by nature. And All right. So, the vacation went from a vacation to a, a manhunt so we're going through the emporium leaving the park one night or one day and I, i'm looking at the back of this guy's head and i'm looking at his figure and i'm like dude that's him and then he turns to the side and i see the side of his face and see his profile and i'm like dude that's 100 percent him so i like start sprinting ahead trying to catch up to him i wound up losing him in the crowd but i was like damn it like, that was one, and honestly, had I caught up to him, I probably would not have said anything other than just to get confirmation it was him, but I was just like, dude, that's Kevin freaking Owens, so, uh, yeah, my celebrity encounters are far and few between, but 
every single one of them ends pretty much in the same result. I get tongue-tied, and I'm not saying a damn thing just because I'm like, ah, I don't know that you'll want to be bothered by me. So I'm pretty much right there in that same boat with you. So, um, But as far as, I guess as far as movies go, so we can kind of dive into a little bit of pop, pop culture here before we end this. Um, you know, you alluded to earlier, uh, some of the, some of the work you do as an artist, so to speak, you do some painting, stuff like that on the side. And I remember you having a painting of yourself depicted as Marlon Brando and the Godfather, correct? <laughs> uh, yeah, a long time ago I did something like that. Gosh, that would have been, uh, that would have been when I was really starting to get into movies, um, you know, so basically what I did was, you know, I always really liked movies, but, you know, so in 2006, probably, 2006, 2007, somewhere around there, you know, I, I went on to imdb.com, you know, it was like the first time that I'd ever been on that website, and, you know, they had, they might still have, I don't know, but uh, they had a, a top 250 movies list. Yep, still on there. And, and so... I printed that list out, and it was my goal to watch all 250 movies that were on that list. That's and awesome. So, uh, of course, at the top of the list at the time was The Godfather. Um, and so I watched that movie. Um, was extremely uh, impressed by it. Uh, to this day, I still think that uh, The Godfather and The Godfather Part Two are the best duo of movies of all time um i actually prefer part two to be honest i think uh, a lot of people do i don't think you're really alone in that because most people that i've talked to i'm i feel like i'm kind of in the minority here because i like the first one better and it's not a slight at the second either because like you said as far as duos go um you know it's arguably the best duo of movies and of course we know about Godfather Part 3. It's sort of the one that everyone despises. And I'm not really... I don't hate it. It's obviously not nearly as good as the first two. But even as bad as 3 is for a lot of people, most people will still talk about that trilogy as being one of the best because of how good 1 and 2 are. Well, you know, the, the Godfather Part 3 is kind of the return of the Jedi. Yeah. Of, of the movies, you know, where... And really, I think this is a problem that a lot of you know, movies and TV shows have, which is coming to a satisfactory conclusion to things. And so a lot of times what you see, especially lately, uh, you know, Game of Thrones is probably the most popular one. Yeah. Um, but even, you know, with uh, maybe uh, Rise of Skywalker, um, it's very hard to wrap things up in, in a nice, you know, box with a bow on it um, in terms of story. Uh, particularly if you have a lot of different elements to a story, um, trying to wrap them all up tightly is tough to do. And especially when you have a long period of time that passes from start to finish, you know, so you think about Godfather, uh, part one, uh, you know, I think that was 73, somewhere around there. Um, and, uh, Part two, I think, was seventy five, somewhere around. There. I'm not one hundred percent sure, but you know, so those two were in the you know mid seventies, and then you jumped to the early nineties to yep. do part three, and you know, in that time period, you know, everybody kind of comes up with their own you know kind of theories or ideas or you know opinions on how it should close. Um, you know, same thing with Game of Thrones. Uh, granted, you know, a, a two-year break between the seventh season and the eighth season is not the same thing as a 30-year or 20-year gap between Godfather uh, Part 2 and Part 3. But still, in, I guess in the age of social media, it's almost as long um, because of the, cons the, the, the kinds of discussions you could have. Um, but there's such this, there's such a build-up, right? And everybody has this you know, grand idea of how things should end. And, and then ultimately when it doesn't match that idea that you have, it's kind of a disappointment, right? Right. You know, I, I know 
I know for me, uh, you, you know, Tom Hagen was a great character. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, he's just not there. Yeah. And it's kind of like a throwaway, oh yeah, Tom Hagen died. You know, and he was such an integral member of the family. Absolutely. Um, you know, you had uh, uh, Connie, who kind of goes from being meek and, you know, uh, abused and, and uh, she's kind of going crazy in part two to all of a sudden she's like Lady Macbeth in part three. Like, wait, where did this come from? Right. You know, where all of a sudden now she's the scheming, manipulative one. Um, so it just there's maybe some character changes a little bit. Um, you know, even from Michael Corleone, who goes from being, you know, the quiet, uh, analytical, um, you know, maybe scary, but, but uh, very um, silent and, and put together kind of guy to kind of the screaming, ranting uh, guy that he is in part three. Um, so, you know, just, uh, I understand that. I understand why people feel the way they do. Um, but I would still say, like you said, I, I think it's undeniable that part three is still a good movie. Yeah. Um, it has its flaws, but it's still a good movie. It's just when you compare it to two of the best films ever made, without a doubt, it just falls short. Well, dude, I mean, part one and part two are both in my top ten of all time. Part one is my favorite movie to ever be made, and it's it's not really particularly close. Um, and part two doesn't fall very far behind. You know, uh, I actually did a top 40 movies within the last year for, for this blog, and I think I had part two maybe at like six or seven. Um, and, you know really that that two to eight range i could mix and match that and that's one of those movies that could easily move up but yeah it's uh you know you were actually one of the first people i reached out to because i didn't watch those movies until very recently i say that maybe within the last three years or so and you know, I didn't really get into the whole mob movie scene really until the last decade. You know, 2010s, I started really taking exception and honestly enjoying the whole mob movie scene. I had obviously seen Scarface, um, uh, a couple of others along the way, but like The Departed, I think, I saw in 2009. And that's what really brought me into that mob movie scene where I started watching Goodfellas. I watched The Godfather. You know, I watched some of these big movies. Uh, American Gangster is another one. Um, so, uh, you know, that is easily my favorite subgenre of films. Um, you know, and but I remember texting you specifically after The Godfather because I know how big of a fan you were you are of the of the series and the other person I texted was my mom who has probably tried to get me countless times to watch The Godfather growing up and I never listened and I remember texting her and just being like yeah I fucked up so um and now as I sit here I look to my left uh, one of the things that you've probably seen in the background of my videos is that that painting of all the iconic mob movie bosses from the Goodfellas to the Godfather to Scarface to the Sopranos, all these all these big uh, burly head guys of of mafia and guys who will essentially kill you if you piss them off. So it's a very fun you know subgenre of movies. So. Um, and it's just funny that it kind of came full circle. Like I said, I watched that movie, I text you, and I instantly think of that painting that was hanging up in your room every time I'd go over there, you know, when we'd hang out in high school. Um, but another, another common interest, I guess, that we can dive into a little bit, uh, as we're wrapping up the show here is The Office. That's another show that you're a big fan of that I jumped on the train late to, um, you know, I remember that was your, it used to air on Sundays, correct? Oh gosh, you're dating me now. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't, I honestly don't even remember. Cause I, I just, I just remember there was one specific time. I think me and buddy, 
uh, and Vito had uh, had planned something, and I had texted you in high school and was like, "Hey, we're gonna do this," and you're like, "Yeah, no, tonight's the office, and it's the season premiere. I'm not doing a damn thing but sitting on my couch and watching The Office." And uh, you know, you were always a big fan of that, and I watched that within the last couple of years too. And dude, it's just another another great series um, that the second I started watching. I remember texting you about it being like, yo, dude, finally jumping on the office train. So that that's always been one of the cool things is all these common interests that I guess you and I have with movies and TV. Yeah, well, I, you know, I think I think the, the office has kind of had a resurgence, uh, you know, because of Netflix. Absolutely. Um, I, I know I know from, you know, interacting with my students, you know, most of my students that I teach are in eighth grade. And so, you know, even they, you know, are coming in now and knowing the office and, and, and the references to it and things like that. So I think it kind of had a resurgence, but I mean, it's such a quality show. Oh, yeah. And, uh, you know, I think it's one of those shows that, you know, it's episodic. So you can jump in kind of at any episode and just watch it and, and you're good. You know, exactly. you don't really have to. You know, there is an overarching plot, but it's not so heavy that you you know you'll be lost if you if you don't um, follow through on it. So uh, you, that makes it really accessible, and you know you just have so many uh, great characters. You have so many uh, funny uh, moments, and and, and uh, gosh, I mean the lines. Some of the lines that they wrote on that show are just so. <laughs> incredibly well written and I mean I see quotes from Michael Scott all the time oh yeah you know or Dwight Schrute all the time and you know when you can write at a level that everybody's quoting it later on that's pretty impressive um so well dude I uh, think it's just a great show I think it's arguable though that because uh, we I was I was actually talking about this with Melissa. She's never watched The Office, but we were talking about the best shows of all time one night. And dude, it's certainly got consideration because of that resurgence. That's going to be one of those shows that I don't think ever goes away. It's gonna be one of those shows that just stands the test of time. Um, well, certainly, certainly when you talk about comedy. Yeah. You know, oh, without a doubt. When you talk about comedies, and I think another thing that that the show does well is it's not really it's not really dated in its references. Right. You know, there's a there's a couple things that they that they reference. You know, that they, that they poke fun of that maybe a modern audience wouldn't get. You know, I say a modern audience; it makes it sound like it's so old. But <laughs> really, I mean, gosh, from the time that we were in high school to now, it feels like a different world. Yeah. So. You know, uh, so there are some things that maybe, you know, a modern audience would get because of the references, but, uh, you know, a lot of times there's shows where they're, they're, they're making jokes about, you know, current events and things like that. And so if you watch them, you know, 10, 15 years later, you're like, what are they talking about? <laughs> but this isn't one of those shows, you know, the writing is kind of independent of those things for the most part. So I think that helps it. And it's, you know, ability to, to stay strong, um, you know, for an all-time, you know, classic comedy show. I, I think it, I think it would probably definitely be in the top five, um, you know, all-time comedies. Uh, I, I would be hard-pressed to think that it wouldn't be. Well, dude, you mentioned uh, the characters, and that's a big reason why it's got such a cult classic. Because, you know, as great as the main characters are... You know, Michael Scott, uh, Dwight Schrute, Jim Halpert, Pam Beasley, um, you know, all those characters. But the secondary characters, I mean, think about the cult following that Kevin Malone has, and I'm also in that cult. Um, uh, for the record, that was Mark's favorite character, too. Dude, Kevin's the man. He, he is the absolute man. And then, of course, you have Creed Bratton, who's had his sort of resurgence because of his insanely crazy one-liners um and the fact that you know he, he's clearly not all there um but you know one of my favorite one of my favorite one-liners on the show is uh 
you know, they're, they're interviewing Creed and he's like, well, if I can't scuba, then what's this all been about? What am I working towards? And, uh, then of course you have, um, oh God, oh, what, what's the line that I just, it was on the tip of my tongue. I forgot, but, um, you know, Creed Bratton and then Stanley Hudson's another great one from start to finish. Stanley's by far one of my favorites. Um, you know, nothing like the grouchy old guy in the office and, uh, dude, one of the best scenes in that show that is probably top five as far as funny goes for me is when it's bring your child to work day and he just starts yelling at Ryan. That's easily one of my favorite, favorite scenes. Boy, have you lost your mind? <laughs> Cause I Help hope you, you find, find it. it. <laughs> um, but yeah, dude, it's 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 crazy how well that it's kind of standing with time. And I think it's funny that you're mentioning eighth graders coming into class, being able to understand those references. Because, dude, I remember teachers in high school, you know, I'd walk in and these 30-something-year-old teachers would make uh, TV show references and we're all just kind of like, okay, cool. Well, that joke didn't land. On to the next one. So... It sort of bridges that gap, and it's it's cool to see that it's kind of standing that test of time, though. Um, but uh, other than that, man, uh, did you have anything to add before we wrap up here? No, man. Look, I, like I said, I, I appreciate you having me on. Uh, I, I I think it's super cool what you're doing. Um, you know, maybe maybe we'll do this again sometime. And- go down the rabbit hole a little bit more on some other movies and TV shows or whatever else, man, you know, uh, always a good time talking to you, catching up. Absolutely, man. And I appreciate you coming on. Uh, so again, that's, uh, Matt Panero, who is the head wrestling coach for St. Paul, who placed uh, second in state, uh, as they continue to move forward. And hopefully, uh, we'll see more great things coming out of good old St. Paul and my boy, Matt here can, can, keep climbing that ladder of success but uh, i appreciate him coming on and as always honor the huddle thank you for tuning in to the hotard huddle podcast stay up to date with all the latest episodes released on the first and 15th of every month at hotardhuddle.com follow us on facebook and instagram at hotardhuddle huddle